and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about oat production today. And I know oats get raised for a lot of different purposes. And for some of our longtime listeners and guys that take notes, uh, you're probably noting, wait a second, you guys raise oats as a cover crop on your farm. Yes, we do. Not necessarily what we're talking about here, though. We're talking about raising oats and trying to get 200 bushel oats. What can you do to get just a fantastic crop of oats? We'll discuss that along with your calls and questions. If you have any agronomic questions, 844 844- 44 ag phd is our number or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. all right brian uh, i know you've been excited to talk about oats it was interesting I, I was talking to janelle and i said man i wonder if brian's gonna be fired up about oats she goes oh yeah he's been talking about this one for a while so i'm gonna give you the floor here where do you want to start on the oat discussion well first of all oats in the past hasn't been really looked at it's this great cash crop or anything i I mean it's not going to rival corn or soybeans on hardly any farms but you can do really well with oats the number one issue we typically see though standability problems so what we usually encourage people to do number one you can cut your seeding rate a little bit number two make sure you have lots of potassium that's the biggest factor because let's face it a lot of times people are raising oats to take the straw off meaning they're going to take a lot of potassium off the field anyway so you want to start getting ready for next year's crop. Besides the fact that more potassium this year is going to help your oats stand up a lot better. And then the other thing is use some palisade to shorten the oats. You just have to time it right. But all those things absolutely will help you with the standability. The biggest question we probably get, though, because we're the weed of the week guys, is how do you kill the weeds in oats? Well, fortunately, you have a lot of great options that you never used to have. So, for example, Sharpen. That wasn't labeled 20 years ago in oats. It is now. It's amazing. Use two ounces of Sharpen. Your broadleaves are pretty well gone. If you want to take it a step further, you could throw some Callisto in in with that pre-emerge. And that also wasn't labeled 20 years ago. Well, now it is. And now you've got these two amazing broadleaf products. And Callisto has a little bit of activity on grass, too. It's just much safer pre-emerge than it is post. We still have a lot of the same old products that we've had for a long time, post-emerge, like Bucktroll, Stinger. You can use some 2,4-D post-emerge, uh, like MCP, but we just don't like 2,4-D of any kind, quite frankly, on any crop post-emerge if we can help it. So we would encourage you to use something a little bit safer than that. So those are two of the biggest factors, sandability and weed control. Beyond that, it's just all the other stuff we normally talk about, Stopping the insects, the diseases, making sure you have a well-balanced fertility program. Oats does require a fair amount of nitrogen. Doesn't need it super early in the season, but, I mean, you got to have a lot of nitrogen out there if you want to have an amazing oat crop. So, anyway, lots of things to talk about. Yeah, sure are. And we're getting getting some questions in, too. Do you want to talk more oats or do you want to take a few questions, Brian? I don't, I don't, go ahead. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. 
All right, this one comes in from Peggy, and, and Peggy said, got, got a bunch of questions for you. I hear about your Scouting and Scholarships Day that you have coming up in June. Can you talk to us more about that? What are requirements to receive one of these scholarships, potentially? Uh, is this for high school students going into college or just people already enrolled in college versus tech school, all those kinds of things? Does it have to be an ag degree? Uh, just talk to us a little bit about this. It's pretty exciting. Our only requirement is that you are going to a post-secondary school. So in other words, you're done with high school. You are, this coming fall, going to be going into a college, technical institute, whatever it is, post-secondary school. We don't care. We're hoping to give away over 100 college scholarships, and we call it college, but basically post-secondary scholarships that we'll award that day. At the event, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, just overall crop production. So that's everything from fertility to, like we were just saying, weed, insect, disease control, tiling, uh, you name it. So we're going to go through basically how to raise a crop, kind of start to finish. We'll spend a lot of time out in the field. It'll be a lot of fun. All right. Thanks for the question, Peggy. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting day. We're really looking forward to that one. Uh, all right. This one comes in from David. He's up in Michigan. He said, guys, I don't consider myself a grain farmer. I, I run beef, but I've got some alfalfa grass that I need to rotate out of. So I've got a, a farmer nearby who's going to come over and put corn into this ground in 2023. Wait, wait, wait. You said, wait, you said alfalfa grass. Yep. Yep. He's got uh, alfalfa and grass. Correct. You're talking about? Correct. I'm assuming. Just says, I need to rotate out of alfalfa slash grass. So he's got a farmer who's going to come in, plant corn this year, and then in 2023. Then in 2024, he's going to put soybeans on that ground. And then he wants to go back to his alfalfa and potentially an alfalfa grass mix in 2025. So here's the questions. He said, if, if this farmer follows your recommendations in 2024 with his soybeans, putting out the three pre's, is there anything that's going to impact him planting alfalfa or grass in the spring of 2025? Now, he said, just so you know, I've got a really light soil, CEC of three. I've got a pH around 6.5, and it's dry land. Uh, so he said they're going to be no-till out there. Just curious if anything would hang out that long in a CEC of three. Very, very unlikely. We know the Metribuzin and the Valor will not. Now, Authority possibly could, but that's really most likely not going to hurt anything anyway, even if it did. And then it's just if you're going to use one of the yellows, well, the No-till prowl, would be prowl. We're talking no-till, right? Prowl doesn't last as long as trifluralin. I'm not that worried about it. So, no, I'm not that concerned. If you're really worried about it, just cut the rate of prowl just a little bit, but no big deal. Yeah, that would be the only one I'd be nervous about, too, would be that prowl at that pH level. At that I'm season. not really even nervous. Yep, I agree. Yeah. I'm not, and it would just be nervous. the grass, not the alfalfa. <laughs> All right, thanks for the question, David. We really appreciate it. And good luck as, as you rotate out. That'll be, be a good move. Uh, give yourself a fresh start and put a little diversity out there. We'll get into talking about oat production on today's program right after this. Stay tuned. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper, 
Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. talking about oats on today's ag phd radio show we welcome your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and of course you can always email us radio at agphd.com yeah we don't talk about oats enough here in the morton studio but uh, we wanted to to make a little bit of focus on this because it is an important crop as well and there are well there is such a difference between high production oats and just oats and we thought, man, what a what a great crop that we could talk about a little bit, hear from guys in different parts of North America as to how they're going about raising oats. And if you've got some tips that you figured out, we would love to hear from you as well. Let's start up in Saskatchewan uh, or right up maybe on the Saskatchewan Alberta border here. We've got Cody with us. Cody, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. How are you today? Not too bad. All right. We talk a lot about wheat on the show and, and even a little bit about barley, but we don't talk that much about oats. Is that a big part of your operation, Cody? Oh, it makes up a it makes up a consistent portion of my operation. I mean wheat and wheat and canola are the two big ones and then barley and then oats more or less. So but yeah, we always grow a we always grow a portion of oats every year. Yep. What do you do with the oats? What What are the uses that you have? Is it the grain? Is it Is it? Do you like the straw? What What's the best part about oats for you? Well, it's the grain, especially the grain. Um, yeah, it's going into either feed for our own cattle, or we try for the milling market, and that's you know the, that's the gold standard. But in the last number of years, the feed market has been just as lucrative and a lot easier to meet those parameters. Sure, sure. What What are the big challenges for, for you in your part of the world raising oats? Uh, I mean, I love this crop. I think the the tolerance to 
cold weather has been good. Uh, I think on our farm, it's been fairly drought tolerant, but uh, how about a little bit further north? What's it like on your farm? Um, well, bushel weight is, is the thing that we're going for, but I mean, for us in our situation where we are um, hitting bushel weight with a reasonable fertility package, um, not to have too many greens in it is another thing for the milling markets. But yeah, they're, they, you know, you, you, you can either manage them, you can go, you know, just throw them in the ground and cut them for feed and, you know, set and forget sort of thing, or else you can attack them just like you would say a, a higher yielding wheat crop and, you know, the management and everything will get you to that next level, that's for sure. On our farm, phosphorus has been one of the keys as we're trying to get higher test weights and and better productivity. How about for your soils? Is phosphorus a big thing, or is it something else? Uh, nah, no, not really. Like, um, I know from previous readings and everything, like the Saskatchewan government did a lot of um, you know fertility trials and stuff back in the day, and. Um, oats is one of those things, I mean, we always use religiously like 20 actual pounds of floss on everything, at least every year. Um, but they had said years ago that, you know, like as, as any big, um, noted response from phosphorus usage in the year of fertilizing oats that you don't really see any benefit per se as anything. You know, you kind of understand what I mean, Like It'd sure. be like flax or something, right? Sure. It needs background fertility, but actual applied fertility, it doesn't seem to respond to it as, as much. Um, and, like, where we are, um, like the western side of the prairies and stuff, um, oats are one of those things where you can't hit it too hard with, like, namely nitrogen fertility. Um, a lot of the older varieties, um, they would do, you know, like a hairy carry and grow and fall over <laughs> yes oh, I, well, I was, that was growing up but uh, we we always had oats and and we had livestock as well and that was part of it and uh, we also used the straw for bedding and that's one thing dad would always say is man if you overdo that nitrogen a little bit even in parts of the field you're going to see stuff laying on the ground and that is not what we yeah. want to have but you get the thing about it is with oats it's funny because then you get into say manitoba red river valley into the dakotas and whatnot um, <clears throat> their fertility levels that they use to, you know, achieve some pretty remarkable yields. Um, if we were to use that same level of fertility, it would, it would fall over. Like, um, I've heard stories of guys, 90 to hundred pounds per acre actual nitrogen there. And whereas on the West side of Saskatchewan here, um, we're probably anywhere between 50 to 70 pounds. And that's using semi dwarf oat varieties typically don't fall over and we're still achieving you know a lot of cases as same if not better yields on oats out here so yeah that's soil differences you bet you bet well the test weight thing is is a real challenge you mentioned that before and and yeah you're right how do you do that without breaking the bank <laughs> and uh so you can yeah. make some money on the crop as well yeah there's well i'm glad soil, to hear i'm yeah. glad to hear it's not like easy i was hoping you weren't going to say oh no you come up here and oats are the easiest thing in the world darren and and we can just knock it out of the park every year no it's a challenge too yeah. in uh, saskatchewan and alberta but uh we sure appreciate hearing from you cody and and uh, good yeah. luck on your crops this year thank you 
You bet. Let's head over to North Carolina. Get Russell on with us right now. All right, Russell, you kind of heard uh, in the great white north how things are done. How about in North Carolina? I don't I don't really know how much I'm going to add to that to be a benefit there. <laughs> well, I, I don't expect you to give away all your tricks if you got any tricks to oat production, but I, I look at one thing that we didn't talk about was sulfur, and I just wonder, what are you seeing in North Carolina, not just with oats, but really with any crop? Have, have you changed up what you're doing with sulfur in recent years? Absolutely. Um, whether it's corn, small grain, um, you know, our, our university used to talk about one pound of sulfur for every 10 pounds of nitrogen. Our farm's running on about six or seven pounds of nitrogen to one pound of sulfur. We found it to be, it's a lot more critical than we think. And um, we were still seeing some deficiency on tissue samples at that level. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's one of the things on fertility. Um, a, a big thing for us is we, we actually started looking at, a, have you ever used Palisade before? Yes. On a small grain yes. crop? Yep. Yeah, so that, that was one of our main issues is um, we have a good climate to where we can make a good oat crop. And, you know, lodging, uh, I, I dislike picking corn, uh, or I dislike picking small grain a lot more than corn just because corn's so much easier with the header height. But uh, when you get into some lodged oats or weed, it just becomes a mess. And so we started looking at Palisade, and we're only using probably – a half rate of palisade on small grain and we're seeing it drop down in height a little bit but the biggest thing that we were noticing is the uh the stem we're actually seeing a, a thicker thicker wall on that stem and it's really helping us a lot with uh, standability good tip good tip yeah we've been doing that on wheat for sure and we we did on oats this past year and it was noticeable and we saw more yield where we did that we had a 75 mile an hour sustained wind come through with one of the storms and where we hadn't put the palisade on our oats went down and where we had put it on they stood like champs so that was that was a big deal for us the other thing that we run into for a challenge a little bit is weed control and brian was talking about that to start the show off that we We've really gone away from using any 2,4-Ds in oats just because we thought that we were losing some yield, and we were definitely noticing it on the crop. Uh, how about there? I, I know 2,4-Ds still widely used. Are there still guys using 2,4-D in oats, or, or more guys switching to some other things? Um, I would say 2,4-Ds kind of been on the way out. It used to be, you know, everybody would mix up their chemical paths with their top dress liquid nitrogen and um you know, we started doing some, some split trials on some fields, and we were just noticing where we removed the herbicide from that nitrogen pass. Yes, we're, we're making another pass, but the, the yield bump that we were seeing getting that herbicide outside of that nitrogen pass really did pay off, and 2,4-Ds kind of, kind of went to the wayside, um, you know, except for, you know, what you're seeing now with, with the Enlist or E3 beans, you know, you're seeing a little bit of that come back on the 2,4-D side, but a different different crop but um, most everybody's looking at different chemistry because it just it seems like for some reason if you get that timing off um, you can you can really ding it pretty good yeah yeah no doubt about that see russell you said you didn't have much to add and and there you go now you're, now you're educating <laughs> us on growth hormones better weed control methods i love it well hey russell good luck to you guys this spring and and hope to talk to you again down the road have a good season you bet you as well we're talking oats on today's show. We will be right back after this.
Get what you spray for. Results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Where are you getting your fertilizer this year? Just about anywhere you look, it's going to cost more. And you may even find it's harder to get when you need it. It sure would be nice to have a better source of crop nutrients. Believe it or not, you do. It's your soil. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nutrients already in your fields, so you can add less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. It's such a solid backup plan, you'll probably find yourself wondering why Source wasn't the plan all along. Visit Sound.ag to learn more. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutritia N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutritia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trifold, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We are talking about oats on today's show. And I know if you say, oh, man, normally you guys focus on wheat uh, a little bit more than oats. I, I think we do spend quite a bit of time on wheat, but but we really don't get a, a lot of days on oats. So we were talking about this, and uh, I know, as I mentioned earlier, Brian was super excited about talking about oats and weed control and some of the challenges we've had raising oats on our farm. Uh, so hopefully you've enjoyed the show so far. We're getting a little taste from uh, across North America as to what are some of the challenges raising oats and what are some of the things guys are doing to to do a little bit better job 
with oats. Uh, and I love speaking with folks up in North Dakota. North Dakota raises so many different crops. And uh, what I'm always impressed by is a lot of farmers seem to be experts on a handful of different crops. And then you go to other parts of the world, like, well, like on our farm, and we get really focused on corn and we get really focused on soybeans and, and maybe a few other things. So uh, always looking to learn a little bit more from, from our neighbors to the north. We've got Andrew Friskop with us right now at North Dakota State University. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so we were talking earlier to uh, to Cody, and he farms up kind of on the Saskatchewan-Alberta border, and uh, he, he was just mentioning test weight can be a challenge for them with oats. Well, what are some of the challenges raising oats further north in our country? Yeah, I, I guess in my uh, world of, of research, and I, I think about oat production in North Dakota, um, we ha- certainly have some pest challenges that can impact the yield monitor and also some of the test weight. And specifically in my discipline of diseases, uh, we don't have as many oat diseases as we think of with like wheat and barley, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're not important ones. And I, I think a lot of the conversations I have definitely revolve around rust and specifically oat crown rust and stem rust. Yeah, great point. Great point. We have not gotten into the disease part at all. And, you know, we do get a nice canopy with oats. Uh, I know last year um, we had an event on our farm in June and the, the you just got soaked walking through our oats crop even later in the day. So they definitely can hold some water out there. Uh, it does kind of leave an environment that's ripe for a disease. So you mentioned a couple different types of rust. Uh, when do you see that and, and how do you go about preventing that yeah when we start thinking about any disease we have to know how it works and the one key thing that differs uh oak crown rust from other rusts we manage uh is that oak crown rust can overwinter in north dakota south dakota minnesota it uh has a complex life cycle so it needs two hosts and those two hosts uh, happen to occur in north dakota so we can we can see it set in early you know probably before jointing stage uh, and certainly it's going to be tracking along the lines of, you know, like you mentioned, dew points, uh, prolonged dew points, all those things really favor rust. And when we speak of a management perspective, uh, we use basically a two-prong approach. Um, one, definitely know your variety. It's uh, susceptible or resistant. Uh, number of public breeding programs and private programs are uh, making that a focus of, of, of what being able to release varieties that way. And then our other tool is fungicides. And uh, when it comes to managing oats or oat crown rust, you know, we, we, we have some good fungicides and they do really nice work. And the key thing is getting that application on uh, at about flag leaf or maybe a few days later to protect the flag leaf. And that's when I've seen most of the yield response when it comes in our research trials. Yeah, that flag leaf is so important. And you mentioned varietal resistance, and certainly you got to do your homework on this. I, I see too many guys saying, well, uh, I've been using this variety of oats and just staying with the same thing. Uh, there are new varieties coming out, and, and sometimes, like you mentioned here with, with oat crown rust, there could be some big differences between varieties. So it, it's a smart move, just like we talk about in other crops. Uh, try new varieties, try new hybrids, spread your risk out a little bit if you're doing quite a few acres, plant more than one just in case there's a problem with one uh i don't know if you have any organic production of oats in north dakota or if you get any chance to work with that andrew we've talked with some guys that have talked about copper levels in the soil or even using some copper trying to fight off some of these diseases have you done any work on that up in north dakota i i don't if you have i haven't heard about it 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I know in our extension circles, there's been a few more questions on micronutrients than some of the soil scientists we have, uh, like Dave Franzen at NDSU, has and more or less has, has, has uh, touched on this topic before. But if, if you want to think of it as uh, from a disease perspective, most of the conversations I've had with copper um, have to be more or, less, more or less in the wheat side of things when we start thinking about uh, ergot, for example, and to see if there's any correlation uh, between that and disrupting flowering and uh, anthesis period. But, you know, for the most part, it's, you know, it's kind of a tough area of work in, in a lot of cases because there's so many yeah. factors going on in the soil. Yeah, that's for sure. No, no doubt about that. Uh, all right. You mentioned uh, stem rust. How is that different from crown rust? Yeah, so the, the key difference between stem rust and crown rust is, uh, you know, crown rust we typically will see on the leaves. Uh, in really severe infections, you can see it go on the stem and also on the panicle of oats. Uh, for, for stem rust, that's going to be pre- predominantly going to be located on, on the stem itself. And they do behave differently, too. Um, and when I mentioned about complex life cycles, uh, the old crown rust has everything it needs in North Dakota, where the stem rust that impacts oats, it's still blowing up some spores from the south. So typically, when I'm out looking at oat fields and even within my research trials, I can almost guarantee I'm going to see oat crown rust every year. And stem rust, it usually comes on a little bit later, uh, but it's, in terms of a management perspective, uh, certainly variety resistance, but fungicides uh, at flag leaf a little bit after, it's going to be able to help manage both those diseases. Now, since we're talking disease here just a little bit and we're talking oats, uh, talk to us just a little bit about wheat at the same time. Uh, we do see some tan spot and some other diseases early in the season. Uh, what What's your advice for growers uh, if they say, okay, I'm raising oats, but I'm also raising some wheat here. Uh, is there any concern about things that cross from one crop to the next? And then uh, what would you say just about in general early season disease in wheat as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when I when I think about small grains, I'll even throw barley into this conversation too. Is uh, although oat is a small grain crop, it doesn't share a lot of the common diseases that we see with wheat and barley. So in wheat and, bar- and barley, we're always thinking about those early season leaf spots and wheat and tan spots, maybe uh, stagnospora blotch. And in barley, you have some net blotch and spot blotch, but really in oats, we don't we don't see a heavy pressure of fungal leaf spots early on. So that's kind of a win. Uh, when you when you start thinking about you know th- of the other factors that might impact yield, um, and, and generally speaking, if there's any pathogen crossover between oats and um, barley or wheat, the only one that sometimes gets brought up in conversation is scab. And when I think about oats and scab, uh, it's just it's not acceptable. And I and I haven't yet come across what I call a train wreck field with oats. So there's there's a couple of you know benefits, but it's key to remember that. When we're managing oats, as far as from a disease perspective, it's, it's good to have those input decisions, willing to make input decisions like you're used to with wheat and barley, but uh, you can be a little bit more calculated uh, when it comes to oats because we just don't face as many risks, and certainly from a crop rotation, we don't see much carryover. One other thing I was thinking about too, Andrew, as we're talking here is, is what about the seed itself? Do you have any diseases that you're watching out for that could... Uh, be carried on the seed or is that not a concern with oats yeah so as far as seaborne disease uh, uh oats can get loose smut um the very you know general term used for uh, a lot of uh, small grain diseases is a loose smut disease and that's and that, that's a systemic disease so it's you know stuck in the embryo and uh if, if you start using bin run seed or if you're not switching out the seed source 
uh, you can maybe run into some problems with that. Uh, you can also throw a seed treatment on it. Uh, there's, you know, we've come a long way in the seed treatment world from, you know, back in the 70s, being able to have more systemic uh, seed treatments that can help manage loose smut and something you have to be aware of. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, generally speaking, I just, uh, that's about the only one I can think of right offhand that, you know, I, I will have a few conversations each year on. Well, I appreciate you bringing up the topic of disease issues here in oats because I know sometimes uh, the oats doesn't get as much attention as some of the other crops, but it certainly can be an issue. We certainly look at oat crown rust in this geography as something that guys are concerned about just about every year, but there, there are some other things to watch for as well. We're talking with Andrew Friskop here up at North Dakota State University. Andrew, thank you so much. It was great having you on. Yeah, I appreciate the time. Have a good day. You bet. You as well talking about oats on today's program, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hate all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car 
Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Been talking about oats, but of course our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD for any agronomic question. Got Corey on with us right now down in southern Iowa. Corey, how are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. Yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. We got a lot of white stuff up here, though, and hope to be sending it south soon. Yeah, I hate to say it. We probably still could use a little more hydration down here yeah you know and for growers in our area they're they're saying man i hope it all soaks in i hope we don't send any south but i i think we're gonna have some that comes down the river i I guess what are you hearing what 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 are the predictions for this year with the with the mississippi uh the river's at some somewhat of a normal type stage for this type of year or for this time of year um I'm not sure what the market's looking like or how busy we're going to be. I actually work on a tow boat. That's what I do. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, so I was just curious if uh, what your projection is of spring, the spring run. I know we've got boats headed north right now, and they're uh, looking to get loads of grain, I suppose, bringing up empties and coming out with loads out of St. Paul probably. Or sure. Sure. Winona or wherever they stop and stop and pick up. But I know some years are it's wild and you can't get them out of there fast enough and the grain is just so hot they can't stand to keep it in their bins. <laughs> well, we have had a cold and snowy winter. And in fact, uh, I think Minneapolis has got maybe even another foot coming in. I think at least another eight inches coming here just in the next couple of days. So uh, there, there could be even a little bit more heading that way. And one of the challenges on farms, and, and we've been talking to farmers all, all over uh, the Dakotas and Minnesota, and a lot of guys are saying it's just tough to get to the grain bins right now. There's so many big snow drifts there and uh, it, it, underneath the snowdrift, some of that snow has been there so long that there really isn't much frost in the ground. So it could be a little tricky getting in and out of there in the spring. I, I think we got a good month here before we're going to see a lot of stuff heading to town. But I, I know there are some guys that have been plowing the snow out and, and trying to get this done before planting season. So uh, you're right, Corey. We do a lot of times see a lot of guys hauling grain to town here right around planting, generally before if you can. So Maybe maybe I'm a little bit conservative here, but I think about a month from now, I think it's going to get a little wild. Yeah, that's my guess, too. Uh, they still got to get through Lake Pepin. There's still a good couple feet of ice on Lake Pepin up there on the Mississippi. So that's always a, that's always a challenge to wait for the Corps of Engineers to say how many inches average they've got. And then they, they make their best decision they can on, on when and who's going and yeah, it's usually a group effort. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, two feet—that's quite a bit yet. What What do you say when it gets down to to how many inches or so? Do you guys really start getting excited? Uh, like I said, they're on their way. I'm not sure how fast they're trying to push through Pepin. Uh, might be as soon as they get there. Like I said, there will wow. be three. Or, there might be 24 inches of snow, or I'm sorry, ice. Yep, and they'll. 
push barges up through it, and they'll take turns breaking the ice. Okay. You know, a boat, one boat will only get so far, and then another boat will come up and try to help clear out the way a little bit, and they'll just kind of daisy chain work their way up. It's It can be a real challenge. It might take, it's only, shoot, 10 miles, I suppose, on the river, and uh, probably not even. I think it's like eight miles, uh, eight miles long, but it might take, four or five days to do that when normally they could do that in an hour. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Well, that, that is interesting. It, it's, it's fun to learn about uh, all the other things going on here. And I know the Mississippi river levels have been uh, quite interesting here as we've been going through a, a pretty decent drought, but hopefully that drought is breaking. It sure looks like the weather patterns are changing and, and maybe this year it gets back to more normal. Yeah, projections. I uh, looked yesterday for the river, 24, 48 hours out, uh, near flood stage on the Mississippi. That's Cape Girardeau gauge and St. Louis gauge. Um, so there's water. There's yeah. plenty of water. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Corey, appreciate the call. Thanks for thanks for calling. Thanks for what you do. We really appreciate that. I know uh, as, as farmers, we definitely count on being able to move grain and move fertilizer and different products around. Uh, and that Mississippi River is certainly a, a big critical thing for, for us as farmers. So thanks for what you do. We really appreciate it. Not a problem. I love it. All right. Well, thank you. Good luck this spring. Yep. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, you know, we've been talking oats on today's show. I thought one of the more interesting things uh, was Russell was talking about Palisade and that he's using that down in North Carolina. I know we've used some Palisade up here on the oats as well. Uh, just a few, you know, it's not super expensive, but just a few extra things that, that guys are doing a lot of times results in some pretty big gains. And I know for us, the standability gain was noticeable. Russell had commented he's seeing thicker stems and, and that's what he's attributing to the, um, the better stands as he's using that palisade as well. And he's doing it even with a half rate on oats, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, Brian, I, I, earlier today too, uh, we had Cody on and he was saying, man, you just can't push the nitrogen too far if you don't have all the other fertility levels built up. Uh, I'd say that's a pretty fair statement here too. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about right at the outset. You've got to have lots of K out there, but it's about overall balance and fertility. So if you want higher yielding oats, let's take a look at your soil test. Make sure that your K levels are really high. And then you have to have the other things going along with that. Your phosphorus needs to be high. Your zinc needs to be in ratio. Copper needs to be in ratio also with that phosphorus. You got to have a little bit of boron. You definitely need sulfur. Oats need a lot of sulfur to go along with that all that nitrogen that they're going to take. So lots of things you can do fertility-wise. And it, it just starts with reading that soil test. So if you ever have a soil test you want us to take a look at, we're more than happy to do that. I am always excited to read soil tests because that a lot of times holds the answer to higher yield. So we always talk here on the show about it, when you get new ground or any field, I'm going to look at dirt work and tiling first. That's the first dollar I'm spending. The second dollar I'm spending it's on fertility. I want to fix all that stuff because a lot of people are going to talk to you about, oh, this variety is that much better than this other one or this planting date's better and all these things. I'm going, whoa, let's start with the basics. And that is fertility. I'm not saying any of those things aren't important, 
But the better job you do with fertility and drainage, then the better all those other things will end up paying. Hey, let me ask you a fertility question. This one came in from a high school teacher up in North Dakota, and and she said, I'm actually a chemistry teacher, and I'm working on a project for our students. We've got a good lab procedure for testing pH of soils, but can we make fertility recommendations based off of pH, or what else goes into choosing good fertilizers? No. I I mean, pH is just simply one of the factors. Once we see that the pH is off, though, that tells us that something in our soil is out of balance. And by off, I mean outside the sixes. So once your pH is outside the sixes, then that's just telling you, all right, now we know we have an issue. At least if it's in the sixes, things could be balanced in your soil. Not sure. But, I mean, we want to look at the gamut. I mean, like we were talking about just a minute ago, it's not just the major nutrients, N, P, and K, either. you got to look at the, the secondary nutrients, the sulfur, calcium, magnesium, and then all the different micronutrients that there are. So, nope, there's a lot more testing that goes into it beyond just pH. Yeah, the other thing she mentioned, that they were going to have the students choose a crop out of three or so options that they could plant. Uh, I, I would say one free resource that we've got is the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. You can type in whatever crop you want and what your yield goal is, and you can see what kind of balance of fertility that particular crop is going to need. Um, but you're you're right, Brian. If you know the pH, you just know one piece of the, the puzzle here. You don't really know how much... Uh, of each of the essential nutrients for that crop that you've got. All right, we've had a fun time talking about oats. we got some more Ag PhD mailbag questions to dive into here in just a second. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer today, our email address is radio at agphd.com, or you can just give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Morton buildings are made to last for generations. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, we are committed to quality. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. What can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. 
Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from CNB. Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excaldia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we are in the Ag PhD mailbag time right now. If you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also just send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, get this one in from Wade, and Wade wants to talk a little bit about sorghum here, and, and he said, I, I actually have forage sorghum that I was kind of curious about weed control in, and he said, I've got concept-treated seed, which I believe allows me to use a group 15 like Dual. Uh, do you see a big difference between Dual and Outlook would be one question, and then I uh, got some post-emerge questions too. No, no big difference between Dual and Outlook. Outlook will will work with just a tiny amount less rain and it's just a little bit better on broadleaves but to think that you would see a noticeable difference if you had the two side by side i seriously doubt it okay other question is what about verdict would adding the sharpen in there and reducing the rate of outlook dramatically impact grass control and would it be a big enough boost to the broadleaf control it'd be worth it well why don't you just spike more of the outlook in there yeah, that might, be, that might be a good idea, too. Get your outlook rate up uh, and, and also right. use use some verdict, too, so you've got a full rate of sharpen and a full right. rate and, of outlook. That would be your best pre-program. Right, but here's the thing. I don't know his situation. I, I don't know what the rotation is, what the weed issues have been. So, like, if it's our farm, I'm going, you know what, we've done a fantastic job with grass control over the years. I'm not super worried about it, so I might consider just running verdict. But the flip side of that argument is, boy, if I don't have perfect grass control, I know I don't end up with as many tons on that forage sorghum. And post-emerge, then what am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, yeah. in grain sorghum, all I got is facet. Well, what am I going to do in forage sorghum? 
Yeah. And that's a great point because he said, I, I really do need to slow the grass down. So in that case, make sure you get a full rate of either the dual or outlook for your crop. Uh, then he said, what about broad leaves post-emerge? Uh, I, I understand I've got a spray generally before the sorghum reaches eight inches tall. What do you think about products like dicamba, uh, bromoxanil, and husky FX? Okay, well, with dicamba, you can only in sorghum use a half a pint. So that's not going to kill a lot of weeds, and you still have all the drift concerns. Bucktrail, bromoxanil, is a good product. If you don't have a lot of, if you don't have a wide weed spectrum, it's weak on pigweed species, good on cockleburr, sunflower, things like that, but not a, not on a whole lot of other weeds. Um, as far as uh, like husky, that's a that's Bucktrail plus an HPPD. Well, that's a dramatically better product in terms of weed control. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of husky. Really like that product. All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that, Wade. I uh, get this one from Jake. He's over in southeastern Wisconsin. And he said, guys, I wanted to talk a little about Zyway today. And we're kind of toying with the idea of using some Zyway on some of our corn acres. Here's how we're doing things right now. We're using a 616.6 with 2.5% uh, sulfur at about 10 gallons per acre along with eight gallons of 28%. So we've got 18 gallons of carrier that we're pumping through our totally tubular system. It's going on top of the ground behind each closing wheel. Can you use Zyway or any other fungicide on top of the ground, or is it more important that that gets into the soil? Well, you can use it on top of the ground. It's not going to work very well. So, I mean, realistically, would I do that? No. Nope, I would not. The other thing is, quite frankly, I'm concerned about your phosphorus and laying that on the soil surface, too. It's not getting down where it needs to be, in my opinion. Um, well, it's more in my opinion. That It's a fact. <laughs> the phosphorus is simply not getting down to where it needs to be. So I wouldn't do that. I, I mean, if, if I'm going to spend all that money on phosphorus, I'm going to put it down below the seed if I can, either two by two, two or three or four inches deep band below the seed, something, because... I just, I, I don't like the application method. I mean, I don't have any big problem with the product, but the application method I'm just not a fan of. You're not going to get the best bang for the buck. All right, then, uh, well, I, I, I guess with Zyway, I just say we're seeing the best results with that Thrive 3 Desis. And I know it's something else to put on the planter, but if it's me, that's the direction I would go. And in terms of, where it needs to be placed, yeah, you absolutely have to get it in the ground. Otherwise, it's not going to work. It's not going to give you the best performance. All right. And Jake uh, also wanted to ask, okay, here's what we're currently doing on fungicide. We're applying using a helicopter on all of our silage acres and on a handful of our grain acres too. Uh, so later in the season, what do you think about Zyway? If I know I'm also going to be applying a fungicide late on corn, is Zyway a good tool? Do you see a nice gain? Well, it, it's hard to say because I don't know what his disease history is or the environment he's in. Southeast uh, Wisconsin. Or... Southeast oh, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I guess you did So typically, that. typically you got tar spot, you got uh, gray leaf yeah. spot, you got so, northern corn leaf blight. I would true. say that's a pretty, pretty big disease area. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. And so, he's doing silage. Yeah. So you got acres that are going to be corn on corn, I'm sure. Yeah, the odds that Zyway is going to pay are probably pretty high. You know, if 
it may save you that pass the post to merge, but with tar spot moving in, the Zyway now is labeled for suppression, and if you can at least hold it back, then your later treatment, one treatment might be enough. Otherwise, I mean, a lot of guys are spraying tar spot twice, post-emerge twice is what it's taking. And we've had guys, I had one guy come up this winter and he goes, yeah, I got to do something next year. There's a hundred bushel difference. Wow. A hundred. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, anyway, it's, it's, yeah, it's a bad disease. The worst we, the worst disease we know of in corn at this point, it's even worse than gray leaf spot. And I thought gray leaf spot was the worst. Yep, no doubt about it. It's a tough deal, and the Zyway can certainly help provide some suppression, and it can certainly do a pretty good job on gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, those kinds of things, as well as some help on crown rot. So, yeah, we do like Zyway. I would just use it a little bit different, Jake, if I was going to do it. Thanks for the question. Uh, hey, Brian, our friend Roman over in, in Ukraine had sent us some information. Uh, Travel Light Agro is doing a conference on PNK. A comprehensive approach to PNK application, and for English speakers like ourselves, it's free. They'd encourage you. Uh, they're looking for any kind of donations to the world to rebuild rural Ukraine. So wrru.org, uh, and they'd give free access to this multi-day conference. They're going to have experts from the U.S., from Germany, uh, from Canada, and also from Ukraine, talking about P and K. Uh, and how to how to use those products better in your crops. If you're looking for more of a worldwide view of what's going on with PNK, I'd recommend the conference. Uh, you can check it out. Go to World to Rebuild Rural Ukraine. That's WRRU.org. Or you can go to TravelLightAgro.com. That's TravelLightAgro.com. TravelLightAgro. And check out the comprehensive conference on PNK. All right, speaking about phosphorus, Brian, had a question come in from Brandon. And Brandon said, hey, guys, I was looking at some information from uh, University of Nebraska about phosphorus. And I don't know, I haven't done any studies on my own about this, but they were talking about when you're applying fertilizer, especially phosphorus, that only about 10 to 30 percent is absorbed by the wheat crop. The remaining 70 to 90 percent of the applied phosphorus remains in the soil as residual phos, but it slowly begins becoming insoluble and less available and less than 25 to 30 percent of that residual phosphorus is generally found even in the next year's soil tests. What's been your experience with phosphorus? Can you build levels? Uh, do you lose a lot to tie up? Well, first of all, you can absolutely build levels. And one of the biggest factors in terms of that tie-up thing is getting your soil pH right and having a balance of all your other nutrients out there. We talk about this all the time, but I mean, that, that pH is such a big factor. High, in high pH soils, phosphorus will bind up with calcium. In low pH soils, it'll bind with iron. If it's a really low pH soil, it'll bind up with aluminum too. So, I mean, you definitely want to make sure that you have that pH right. But then on top of that, the ratio of phosphorus to zinc and the ratio of phosphorus to copper, those are big things too. If you don't have those right, then you're not going to get as much phosphorus into the plant. So there, there's really a lot to it. But I wouldn't get that worried about it. I mean, just do everything you can to build. You know, if you if you are short on P, just keep putting more phosphorus out there. It's going to build. You're going to be fine. 
Yep, keep raising good crops, and those crops are going to break down and release some nutrients back to your soils as well. It's something we found as we've picked up some, some ground that didn't have great fertility. We just keep raising good crops, and it makes it easier to raise the next good crop too. Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And I do like the idea that you had uh, when you said, I haven't studied this yet on my farm. Maybe that's a good thing to take a look at for yourself so you have your own numbers. And I, and I do like that you're questioning things as well. That's always good. Well, thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.